Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Go. Thank you for joining us on the fourth and final installment of the short series that we've been having, previewing the Brewers Club. We started with the starting pitchers, then to relief pitchers, catchers, and infielders, and now today we will be primarily focusing on outfielders while also taking a look at the designated hitter position, a new position coming to the National League that we will see for the upcoming shortened season. Brewers could have any number of players slotting in there, and it will be the first time that the Brewers have a DH as a regular position since 1997 when they were still part of the American League. Before we get started, just a few things. Remember to check out our blog, bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com is our website, and we do have a full blog there. So I have a number of pieces up there. If you want a little bit of more of a bird's eye view at the roster, be sure to check that out. I have a piece there that I released about a week or two ago, one previewing more from a a league-wide perspective. So if you're looking at some other teams around the league, whether it be divisional opponents or really just some of the better players to look for in 2020. Make sure to check that one out. Again, one about Roy Halladay, his his lasting legacy. And then lastly, I have one up that is on Corbin Burns, the role he may play for the Brewers pitching staff. He will be a member of the starting rotation. We do know that he is slated to get the ball this Saturday against the Cubs at Wrigley. And what will it take for Burns to be successful? We all saw him struggle in the rotation last year, but I don't know if that's reason to believe that he won't be able to turn it around for this upcoming season. And so make sure to check that blog post out, some of the more detailed explanations for Burns' struggles and what may cause Burns to have success as a member of that rotation this year. So make sure to check that out again, bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com, and then it is under the blog section on our website. If you do have any questions that you want to be answered on the podcast, any feedback, you can also contact us on the website. There should be a slot on the website where you can contact us, gives us an, an email address for you to contact us at. So again, make sure to check out our website and thank you again for tuning in. We will have a bonus episode coming tomorrow and that one will be an interview with at Brewers Raptor on Twitter. He has a pretty good following. Some of you may know him just from being active on Twitter. He goes under the name of Brent Suter's actual Raptor. So he will provide some more insight, just some some conversation that we're able to have regarding the Brewers as we look into this upcoming season. Really excited for that episode. So again, be sure to check that one out. That one will be releasing tomorrow in advance of tomorrow's opening day against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. So thank you for tuning in and let's get started. So right away, we're just going to get started with the Brewers projected left fielder, and that would be none other than Christian Yelich. Yelich is expected to shoulder much of the load of the offense this year, and he really has been able to do that each of the last two years. He was acquired via trade following the 2017 season with Miami, and that being a trade that really altered the trajectory of the franchise. The the franchise was still trending upward, but it really boosted them in a way that would not have been able to be achieved really by acquiring any player outside of Yelich. 
The Brewers, in that trade, just a reminder, sent Lewis Brinson, who has significantly underperformed in his time at the major league level. He was the headliner in the deal. He was alongside Jordan Yamamoto, who looks to be a capable starter for the Marlins this year. Isan Diaz, who could get some regular playing time in the middle infield there in Miami. And Monte Harrison, who still could be an everyday outfielder, should make his debut this year. And so regardless of the guys that the Brewers gave up, the Brewers still got the better side of the deal. Yelich, of course, coming over, winning an MVP in his first year, 2018 National League MVP, hit 326 that year, 402 on base, 598 slugging with an OPS of an even 1,000. He won the batting title that year, and that was the first batting title in Brewers history, which is kind of amazing if you think about the fact that no Brewer had ever led the league in batting average until Yelich. Yelich comes and does it in his first year in Milwaukee, and then follows up, repeats doing it in 2019 as well, hitting 326 and 329 respectively. Two incredible years for Yelich that really will go down as two of the best years in franchise history. The only better ones being likely Yount's 1982 season, maybe Braun 2011, but regardless, two exceptional years for Yelich. There's not much reason for that to decline in 2020. His walk rate was up even in 2019 from the previous year. Batting average on balls in play was actually slightly lower, indicating that he may have gotten a little bit lucky in 2018, but he was able to maintain the similar contact skills that he had displayed while increasing his on-base skills and power. And while the juice ball could have an effect on that and likely did, he still is a very good power hitter. He has developed that power tool as he has come to Milwaukee far better than he was able to in Miami, partly due to the cavernous dimensions of Marlins Park. And so Yelich could be the MVP. I actually have him projected to be the MVP. And of course, there may be some bias there. However, he, along with likely Bellinger and Betts, are the front runners to win National League MVP, being the three premium players in the National League. Christian Yelich, starting left fielder, and hopefully he, his defense is able to take a step forward with the transition back to left field, where he's a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more experienced at coming up in the Miami organization, primarily in left field and winning a gold glove there actually in 2014. And so moving over to center field, we have Lorenzo Cain returning. Cain being a gold glove recipient for the first time last year. Cain played much of last year really banged up with injuries. He struggled offensively. He was actually 17% below league average as a hitter, and while Kane does not necessarily need to be a premier offensive player to have value, being significantly below average definitely did hurt his stack. The thing with Kane is that as he is getting older, it seems like he might be able to age a little bit gracefully. It seems like this will be the year where we will be able to maybe determine that a little bit better. Of course, with the shortened season, we may not be able to see that in totality. But Kane is entering his age 34 season, and that is definitely something to be considered when analyzing Kane. And when you look at his age 34 season, you might think that he may be really steeply on the decline. However, he was a little bit of a late bloomer, both just playing baseball and at the major league level. Has a little bit less experience lending to maybe some, some increased production 
more towards the later years of his career, David Stearns was really clear when they signed him that Kane was a guy that they viewed as someone who would be able to age gracefully and produce continually into his 30s. Hopefully the Brewers are able to see that, and even if his bat does not produce to the level that they hope, his glove is still extremely good. He has great range, great instincts in center field, and he really anchors the defense for the Brewers. I think that his war numbers that some people refer to are actually a little bit understated with his value defensively, and that can a little bit overshadow his offense when his offense is quite good like it was in 2018. And in previous years, Lorenzo Cain will be manning center field for the Brewers, and it will be exciting and a little bit of a, a storyline to see how he is able to bounce back from that down year that he had last year. Avisail Garcia was signed in the offseason to a contract worth two years, $20 million. He's coming off a year where he hit 282 with the Rays, 332 on base percentage, 464 slugging, basically providing about league average production when you look at the total picture from offense to defense to base running. Garcia's got pretty good tools across the board, average or better skills at contact, power, speed. His defense is okay. His arm is pretty good. And he's only a few years removed from a season where he hit 330 with the White Sox, a very, very high mark. And so when you look at Garcia, you see a guy who, well, he maybe is underperformed to his talent level. It lends to the possibility that Garcia may be able to produce at a level with, with which he has not produced before. Council and Stearns both alluded to his extreme athleticism and his talent as being a way that maybe there's untapped potential in there and they can get some of that potential out so that Garcia can be an even better player. And I definitely think that that could be a real likelihood. However, it, it, we won't really be able to know that in just a 60 game season since he is not necessarily a guy who will produce very consistently over short amounts of time. He's more of a guy who will have a little bit more of a, a volatile performance level, like we saw a few years ago hitting 330 before dropping off in 2018, hitting just 236 with below average production offensively. Garcia was non-tendered actually by Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay is notoriously cheap and the Brewers really jumped in on Garcia. We're very excited to add him to their roster and really comes over as one of the more high profile acquisitions from this past offseason. Avisayel Garcia should get the bulk of the at-bats in right field, and that also allows Yelich to get more at-bats over in that left field position. Getting some at-bats as well in the corner outfield spots and slotting in potentially at DH is Ryan Braun. Ryan Braun actually has been dealing with a neck, back, and oblique issue over the past week or so, but he was able to be in the lineup for the exhibition game yesterday in Chicago. Braun is coming off a year where he was really back to himself offensively. He may not be producing at prime Ryan Braun levels, but it's totally unrealistic to expect that at this point. Braun is entering his age 36 season, and he's still at least an average player with some great value in his bat. The DH position could extend his career even further. Brewer certainly hope that that's the case. He is entering his contract year, however, and while he previously said that this could be his last year playing Major League Baseball, he rescinded on his word a little bit with this abbreviated season saying that this will not be his last year. 
So whether or not Ryan Braun is in a Brewers uniform next year, that is to be determined. However, it seems like the Brewers would really try their best to bring the franchise icon back to play at least one more year at the least. Braun, like I said, will probably get many of the at-bats at DH, and his bat will probably produce even to a further extent at the DH position since he doesn't have to deal with the wear and tear of playing on the field every day like he might have in the previous years. He did hit 22 home runs last year, slugged over 500, which are both very solid numbers for a guy who is in his age 35 season and playing in his 13th big league year. Ryan Braun, former Rookie of the Year winner, MVP, and one of the greatest players in franchise history is closing the book on his career over these next couple years, but I don't think that his production will stop at any point in 2020. I do think that Braun will remain really an effective member of the lineup. And behind Braun on the depth chart are guys that may be a little bit more familiar, however they have not had starting roles with Milwaukee. The first guy is Ben Gamble, who has really turned heads at the Brewer summer camp. He was a backup for the crew last year, providing some good defense and stability there as a good fourth outfield option. He came over from Seattle before last year, where he actually started for about half of the year and played a good chunk of, of time in 2017. Gamble altered his hitting approach a little bit in both the offseason and this extended period of rest during the COVID pandemic. Gamble came back with kind of a renewed hitting approach that he was able to utilize very well against Brewers pitching. Many of the players and the, the staff of the Brewers were talking about Gamble. Seems like he earned his way to a spot on the opening day roster. And so Gamble could get more at-bats than in the outfield, especially if Braun is unable to play every day from the get-go with some lingering issues there with the back, neck, and oblique. So Ben Gamble is a guy to watch as possibly a guy who could even fill in should one of the Brewers starting outfielders go down with injury or be ineffective or even be struck with coronavirus. And Keon Broxton is the last primary outfielder that is on the 60-man player pool. Broxton had a year that he'd really like to forget last year. He split time between the Mets, Seattle, and Baltimore. He was actually traded by the Brewers to the Mets before last season, and that was the trade that brought back Bobby Wall, a reliever that could be a pretty big part of the Brewers' bullpen. I've talked about him a little bit in one of the previous episodes. Broxton is a guy who has very low contact skills at the major league level. However, he has good power, major swing and miss issues, which seems to be the issue that lingers on him as he's unable to produce fully to the extent that he's capable of because of those swing and miss issues. If he were able to get them under control, he could be an above average major league outfielder. He has exceptional skills in the outfield, great defense, blazing fast speed. Keon Braxton, they brought back on a minor league contract, could figure to be some quality depth over in Appleton at their taxi squad site. So Keon Broxton is a guy that we could see at some point in the season making an impact as more of a backup outfielder who can get some late game defensive replacements or pinch running opportunities. Familiar face, but he was brought back in the offseason. 
And he's coming off a year where he struck out in almost half of his plate appearances, hit 167. Hopefully he can rebound on that woeful production last year. And so other guys who might play a little bit in the outfield are guys that I might have analyzed in the infield episode. So those would be guys such as Brock Holt, maybe, who's capable of playing the corners. Mark Mathias has seen time at the corner outfield positions as well in both spring training and summer camp. Jace Peterson has seen time at, I believe, all three outfield positions. He likely will not make the opening day roster, nor will Mathias. However, he could play a role should one of the utility guys get hurt or he perform very well against some other competition within the organization over in Appleton. These seem to be the guys who will be the primary outfielders for the Brewers. And let's take a look now at the designated hitter situation. So as we've we've touched on and many of you likely have heard, the Universal DH will be in effect for 2020, meaning that both American League and National League teams will be having a designated hitter in their lineup for each game, not only games played in American League parks. And it actually comes to benefit the Brewers more than almost any other team in the league, with Braun being able to then take many at-bats there. I think that it really helps the Brewers and the Reds within the division. The Brewers specifically have great depth, and so they're going to be able to manage some of the days off. So instead of Yelich needing a full day off where he can only maybe pinch hit, they could have Yelich get off his feet and have a few at-bats as the designated hitter, not removing his bat from the lineup while still giving him sort of a sort of a day off in a sense. Keston Hura is a guy who could benefit from that as well. He's been dealing with a little bit of lingering elbow tightness and and a little bit of issues there. Nothing to be greatly concerned about, however. Hura could DH some. He's also a poor defender at the major league level, and so we could see a guy like Sogard or Holt slide over to second for a day, give Hura a little bit of a break while keeping his bat in the lineup. Braun, like I mentioned, should be the primary contributor at the designated hitter position. It seems like Braun is a perfect fit there, kind of like Yoenis Cespedes over in New York. However, Logan Morrison could also get some at-bats there. If Braun is not able to start on opening day tomorrow night, Logan Morrison could be another candidate for that role. Morrison is a power bat, left-handed hitter. He has had a couple down years in a row, but he came back to summer camp in really improved shape. He says the best shape of his life, like we hear so often coming into spring training, and could be a big bat for the Brewers on their bench or in that designated hitter position, adds another power threat to the lineup. So Logan Morrison could be getting some at-bats when Braun is unable to, or when they may not need to give days off to guys like Hura, like Yelich, or even Narvaez, who has shown to be a, a very capable major league hitter. Some other news before we wrap up on the Brewers' injury front. Ray Black was placed on the 10-day injured list. He has a strained right rotator cuff. He left one of the Blue versus Gold Series games with that shoulder injury. He likely will begin throwing again late next week, and so we could see an absence of Black for maybe, maybe three to four weeks. And that does open a spot up for another relief pitcher. Black not necessarily being one of the guys at the top of the depth chart, but a guy that really figured to play some sort of an impact this year. And we still likely will see that. However, he will be unable to pitch on the opening day roster. Another guy that landed on the injured list, Brett Anderson. 
he has a blister on his throwing hand on that left hand there. Anderson has really been known to be on the injured list a lot over his career. It'll be interesting to see if this is the only issue that he has to deal with or if there will be more lingering injuries for Anderson. Of course, the Brewers hope that he can recover quickly. He may miss only a start or two. Starting in his place will be Corbin Burns. Brewer fans, myself included, are excited to see what Burns could do in the rotation. And so Burns will be taking his spot there. And it looks like the way that the rotation is going to shake out will be in this order. Woodruff opening day tomorrow night against the Cubs at Wrigley with Corbin Burns following him in Game 2. Game 3, we will likely see Freddie Peralta. Game 4 will be Adrian Hauser, the Brewers' young right-hander who broke out last year in the rotation. And then Josh Lindblom, the import from Korea, coming back after an MVP year in that Korean baseball organization, will be the fifth starter. Eric Lauer still dealing with some of the effects from COVID-19. He did not test positive for COVID-19, but he was exposed to it and then did get a little bit ill, if I recall correctly. So he's still building up his throwing. Like Anderson, he will like only miss probably a start or two if the Brewers do decide to plug him back into the rotation when he's back and fully up to speed. I believe he threw an inning yesterday or the day previous. So Eric Lauer is another guy that will miss the start of the year, with Luis Urias being that other member of the COVID-19 list. Urias could have made the opening day roster, however, he will not because he is still getting back up to speed after dealing with COVID-19. Angel Perdomo, unlikely to make the opening day roster, was not on the Brewers' initial player pool. However, he also will start on the COVID-19 list. One more thing that I wanted to touch on actually before we go was a piece that was penned by Tyler Cravey on the Players' Tribune website. Cravey was a member of the Brewers' pitching staff in that 2015-2016 range. He experienced some success at the major league level, but this piece is not about his ability to pitch at the major league level. He opens up in the piece about some of his struggles, whether they be with anxiety, with some traumatic experience that he had before he was even a professional baseball player, and some of them that he experienced while he was a baseball player, some of his struggles. He really opens up and is, is very vulnerable in the piece. I'd highly recommend checking it out as it really allows an opportunity to encourage Cravey in the midst of his struggles. At least for me, I really appreciate his vulnerability and knowing as a fan and a guy who may be a little bit removed from the game that these are real people that we're talking about. Ryan Braun is not just a guy who's in the lineup who hits 30 home runs a year. Christian Yelich isn't just an MVP player. These are people who have real struggles, who have real personal lives, just like me and you do. Sometimes I think that we fail to see that from the surface, but I think that this Tyler Cravey piece is an excellent look into that, and I personally would highly recommend checking that out and maybe offering up some encouragement to him. I know that he said that his Twitter DMs are open if you have any ideas of how he can maybe treat the struggles that he's been going through or really just provide some encouragement to him in the midst of some difficult times that he's been going through for a number of years. So I would recommend checking that out. Tyler Cravey's article on the Players' Tribune. 
Before we go, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure again to check out our blog, bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com, and that blog section on the website will be there for you to view the articles that we have up again. The most recent one was the one on Corbin Burns, and so that is a piece that I'd recommend checking out that I wrote, as well as some other previews for the Brewers as a team, as a league, and some of the other things going on around baseball. Make sure to check that out again, bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com under that blog section. And I can't believe that opening day is already here tomorrow. Tonight we will see Nationals Yankees and Dodgers Giants. So if you are just a casual baseball fan in need of some of that baseball fix and you're really highly anticipating the home opener next week and the opening day tomorrow against the Cubs, make sure that you tune into the Nationals Yankees and Dodgers Giants game. I do believe that two of the three Brewers-Cubs games are actually going to be nationally televised this weekend, which is pretty good development, even though it is against the Cubs. The Brewers getting some national respect from Fox and from ESPN. So just to be aware, I believe tomorrow's game is on ESPN and Saturday is on Fox. Tomorrow's game will be at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. Pitching matchup will be Woodruff versus Kyle Hendricks, and we'll have another podcast out tomorrow again with Brewers Raptor on Twitter, Brent Suter's actual Raptor being the name there. So make sure to check that episode out tomorrow before the game starts. And thank you again for joining us and hope that you're as excited for the baseball season as I am. I can't wait and we'll be continuing to, to come out with this content with more analysis and news for the Milwaukee Brewers. Again, thank you for joining us and have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.